when we're stressed, when we're tense, when we're worried what's going to happen next. Women leaders have somehow learned to balance it all, have somehow learned to juggle. Women leaders more often are able to create a balanced life. And if they haven't, they need to take up the strategy because without it, all of us will become so stressed that we will not only sacrifice ourselves, but sacrifice the planet. Hello there. My name is Duncan Autry, and you are listening to Fractal Friends, the podcast where we explore our self-similarity across our diversity. We all have a role to play in the whole, and the purpose of this show is to interview people with interesting perspectives on the world and see what it is that we can learn from one another. In this episode, I talk with Joan Goldsmith. Joan is an educator, facilitator, coach, mediator, and organizational consultant who has been working with public and private sector organizations for over 40 years. She specializes in leadership, board development, organizational change, team building, strategic planning, collaborative negotiation, and conflict resolution. And she's an excellent author who has written and co-written numerous books about organizational management and how to resolve conflicts in the workplace and beyond. She is also a fierce feminist and advocate for social change, and the recent author of the upcoming book, Women Leaders at the Grassroots, Nine Stories and Nine Strategies. In this conversation, we talk about the special role that women play in creating social change as the weavers of webs of association and by being models of balanced living. We talk about the importance of inclusion and how we can give voices to the voiceless by making the extra effort to lift up those around us that the current system does not listen to. We ponder the difference between managers and leaders. Managers try to do things right by using the best tools and following the rules, while leaders focus on doing the right thing and follow values and try to take care of those who need help. And we reflect on the importance of setting limits, finding time to be in silence, and letting yourself get bored sometimes. Thank you so much for listening to Fractal Friends. If you enjoy this show, please subscribe to the podcast wherever you're listening to it, and don't hesitate to give it a review. And come visit fractalfriends.us to get more information about Joan Goldsmith and the things that we discuss in this episode. There will be links about Joan's books and some of the poetry that Joan reads in this episode. Also, at fractalfriends.us, you can find other guests and episodes from over the years. This conversation was recorded in November of 2019. And now, please enjoy this conversation with Joan Goldsmith. Joan, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me today. I am really excited to have you on Fractal Friends. Well, thank you for inviting me. I'm happy to be here, Duncan, and I admire your work, and I consider you a brother, so I'm happy to be here. Thank you so much. Honestly, it's, I have really enjoyed reading your work and being in workshops with you. I remember being at Strauss, where you're teaching now, and... And I just like I've always appreciated just like the presence that you bring to this work and yeah. And yeah, and the and the calming influence you have on Ken there. <laughs> yes. Yes, that's the full time. Yeah. Okay. Well, so Joan, let's go ahead and jump in here. I would yes. love to talk to you. Um, let's just start by talking about this amazing new book that you've written. Um you have recently written the book, Women Leaders at the Grassroots, and it has nine stories and nine strategies. And um, and I guess I just want to, you've written lots of books about organizational leadership and organizations and conflict. And I'm, maybe we'd just like to start with like, what has inspired you to really focus on women at this time? Um, after this, you know, long journey of, you know, working in social justice and human rights for your whole life. First of all, I started my academic career 
1971 when I joined the faculty and the administration at the Harvard Graduate School of Education. So I had a faculty position and an administrative position. And I went from there to start a graduate program at a small uh, Catholic girls school in Newton, Massachusetts, took that program to be independent and become, it became Cambridge College, a graduate school for teachers. And we focused that school on providing a place where women and people of color felt comfortable going for their graduate degree. And uh, we, first year we raised $100,000 to provide scholarships for teachers of color or white teachers who taught in communities of color to come and earn a master's degree. I am now very concerned because I see there is so much protest, concern raised by the teachers unions, both in Chicago and the International uh, Teachers Union, that there are so few teachers of color, so few children of color in communities of color are getting quality education. They're being programmed for being in not just the um, working class or the grassroots, they're being programmed to be uh, homeless. The number of children, do you know there are 114,000 children who live homeless in the United States? Wow. I, 114,000 children? Terrifying. Yes. Wow. Terrifying. So I wrote this book because women who are living and working in the grassroots are in touch with these people as people, not as statistics, not as numbers, not as problems to be solved, but individuals. I wrote about a woman in my own neighborhood who's the street crossing guard, Norma. And Norma is, is wonderful. Norma is the beginning of her 70s. Her picture's in the book, and you wouldn't guess that. And she works at the minimum wage, and she is, uh, takes care of the whole neighborhood, watches out for the whole neighborhood. So uh, Harriet, I'm not saying her real name, but Harriet was a, uh, a school um, teacher's aide at the middle school down the street. Harriet lost her apartment and was living with, this is a working woman living with her son in the parking lot of the junior high school in a car. And she talked to Norma about it and Norma was outraged. And Norma <laughs> said to me, you've got to do something about this. <laughs> so, and Norma knew that I had worked with the homeless commission in the city of, for the city of Santa Monica, doing some facilitating there as a mediator helping them come up with to consensus on a plan for the city of Santa Monica about 10 years ago on how to deal with the homeless problem. So they were, they came to consensus and that plan was passed by the city council. And again, I acted as a mediator and facilitated that. And this woman, Harriet, got an apartment and waited in line and wait, waited until there was a, I mean, first she got a hotel room, I'm sorry. Then she got an apartment and her kid graduated from high school and she's still working. But the point of this story is not that Harry, that Norma's wonderful and I'm wonderful. Point is as a mediator, I could put myself on the line to get consensus. I refuse to do the job of bringing the mediation, the homeless council together if there weren't homeless people on the council. Right. And the, and the developers went crazy. How could that, how could we do that? And I said, you can do it. And so there were times when I sent the developer and the head of the homeless center down the street out of the room to come up with a plan. And we all waited till they came back smiling and they did. And I raise this 
story to say that I don't know. I'm gonna. I don't know if I can talk about this without crying. I don't know if you've seen today's newspaper. So today is November twentieth, I believe. Is that right? Uh, November twenty first. November twenty first, two thousand nineteen, and the headlines are from the ambassador from the U.S. to Europe, appointed by President Trump. And representing me to the countries of Europe, Ambassador Sunland, uh, reporting on hearing Trump's call with the president of the Ukraine. And Sunland, what does he say? Well, I was just doing what the president wanted. And others who, and Sunland, by the way, is Jewish. Mm-hmm. And there were others who work in the president's office and said, well, yeah, I heard the call and I didn't think it was right, but I went ahead with the plan because I, I did what the president wanted. And when I say someone is, Jew- is Jewish, I'm Jewish. And how could he say the same things the Nazis used mm-hmm. to justify their behavior of killing 6 million people at the Nuremberg trials? And that's what he did today or yesterday, whenever he justified. Right. So <laughs> as mediators, as mediators, we must be leaders. We must speak up. We must take care of the people who are living in cars in the parking lots of the schools. And we must speak up for the children who have been forcibly separated from their mothers at the border of the United States. I keep saying to other mediators, I'd like you to join me at the border of the United States for a sit-in. We should be sitting in to protest and prevent the U.S. security people from separating the children from their families. They all look a little nervous. (laughs) And I'm not ready to go. But I'm tempted. I did sit in in the 60s, and I'm tempted again to sit in. Oh my gosh, this is such a wonderful introduction. It's such a wonderful spectrum of the kinds of things that you're working on and just think the way that you're seeing the world. And it touches on like a lot of the themes that I really wanted to talk to you about today. On one hand, we have this woman, Norma, who is finding this intersection of not being a formal leader per se, but yet taking this kind of leadership role, advocating for her community as the as the crosswalk guard, right? And bringing this voice and bringing this information into the, to the attention of you, which you're bringing to other people, right? And then there's this magic work about having this council, this discussion about homelessness in Santa Monica and insisting on being inclusive of the homeless, right? So this theme of inclusivity is really important. How do we actually give voices to the voiceless? And that's such an important role of the mediator is to, that's part of the difference between being neutral and being omnipartial. If we're going to be advocating for everyone in the space, sometimes we have to make sure we're taking extra effort to lift up voices that the current systems wouldn't give voices to. Right. That's right. And yeah. it reminds me of a, another project that I was working on where they were it's like with this mining company and they want to do development and they want to make this foundation and they're going to be giving money into the community. And, and I was like, well, how are you going to get the people in the community if you don't have relationships with them? And they're like, well, what do you mean? And I'm like, well, they're going to obviously be on this foundation. Right. And they're like, well, we weren't thinking about that. And I was like, this is where I can help you. <laughs> like, you can't, Absolutely. you can't even, you're not even going to be able to start. Like, what are you going to do? So there's that, but then there's also that that is going in the face of this like standard system that yeah. we have of let's just do what the people with power say. Right. And yes. that system of hierarchy. And, and I find that to be an interesting intersection between like in your work in organizations or companies, you're, pointing out this paternalistic system of command and control, and we got to democratize the workspace. But then also, that's the same system that we're seeing with patriarchy, basically, of like men being in power and marginalizing voices. And so just, there's all these flavors here. And, but I think I want to just like first, like let, as we're on this like theme of like leadership and women, 
I just think it's so powerful that you start with Norma Gomez and like her story. And you're pointing out that this is a person that doesn't have traditional power, but and or traditional leadership role. Right. So, and I think that that's like I think a big point of your book is to like lift up the voices of leadership and the different kinds of leadership that can exist that aren't what we usually would think of as leadership, and definitely not as our system is is appointing leadership. Right. Right. Let me show you. This is the cover of the book. It's in red. It's mm -hmm. <laughs> revolution. Um, and uh, I make a point of de developing nine strategies, and each strategy is pointed out by the uh, way a particular woman uh, raised herself to leadership. Uh, and use that strategy to do so. And um, my work in leadership has been going on for many years. And my first book on leadership was written with a leadership guru, a man uh, named Warren Bennis, B-E-N-N-I-S. And uh, Warren had, and I had done a lot of research on leadership. So we wrote a book together called uh, learning to lead a workbook on becoming a leader which is in its fourth edition now and is still throwing off a nice royalty <laughs> bestseller and in that book warren makes a wonderful distinction between managers and leaders and i'd like to r remind us of that because i think the role of leader is much more needs to be and is much more uh, available to women so Warren's uh, distinction between management and leadership is that uh, managers focus on uh, doing things right. Am I doing it right? Mm -hmm. Am I following the rules? Do I have the right tool? And leaders focus on um, doing the right thing. Am I following my values? Am I speaking up for the right group of people and i make uh, you know as you mentioned in your example you know and and the example of the coal company am i including the, the decision making the people who are going to be who are going to be affected by the decision right so in my book on women as leaders i strongly make the point and i want to really uh emphasize this that women tend to be the ones in families and in communities to be the linking partners with each other. That is, women create a network. Women create a network of webs that not only connect them with each other and with men and create institution with institution, but uh, at the holiday time, women are often the ones who are invited to the charity event, are uh, uh, invited to make the connection. And the woman uh, that uh, often, um, I inherited a lot of her from my mother. So my mother for many years was part of an organization that uh, was she and, and her very close friend, uh, Vivian uh, Meyerson, were very international leaders in this organization. It's called the Women's International League for Peace and Freedom. And they, they were such leaders that they traveled to uh, international conferences and spoke at international conferences. and. Um, uh, were presidents and officers of this organization. This organization was able to mobilize hundreds of thousands of women for ending World War II. It actually was established during World War I. And many of the women uh, in World, who worked for peace in World War I, including Jane Addams, the woman who founded social workers, and community centers in the United States was one of the founders of this organization. And I don't know if you're following now the congressman from California who 
is leading the congressional investigations of President Trump. I, I, I'm blanking on his name right now. It'll come to me. You know, the congressman from California who's on every night on the television. Um, oh, uh, Adam Schiff? Adam Schiff, yeah. yes. So Adam Schiff's aunt was my mother's best friend, Vivian Meyerson. And he got his quest for truth and his determination from his aunt Vivian, I'm sure. And I got it from my mother. And the Women's International League for Peace and Freedom was so determined during the Iraq War for Peace that they never stopped demonstrating for peace uh, in the United States and also worldwide. My mother was on local California television at age 92 for demonstrating for peace against the war in Iraq. And look what's happening now in Iraq. The people that supposedly we were excluding from, from Iran, Iraq and kicking out because of the war are there back in Iraq, controlling Iraq government and placed there by Iran. So it's what goes around comes around. Mm -hmm. Anyway, women have this knack, knack for connecting with one another. And they have a knack for building networks and building bridges. And they take care of each other. We call that, Ken and I call that building webs of association. Yeah. And um, we like that in the mediation world. The president of uh, Mediators Beyond Borders, Kaba, is, uh, I was just with her in Pittsburgh. She's an extraordinary leader and she's extraordinary, um, extraordinarily good in mobilizing women and demonstrating that art of leadership, that is that leadership is doing the right thing. It's not about doing things right. It's not about doing the good, being the good soldier like these people who work for Trump in the White House and like the Nazi soldiers who worked for Hitler, who said that's what he wanted, the president or Hitler. So I just followed orders. Yeah. What I hear there, and, and I even said like a visual of it, if we think of uh, like hierarchical leadership as being like a triangle or, you know, this down arrow or some sort of vertical thing, and then we can think about the web of, of associations as, you know, this network of, of nodes and connections. And what I'm hearing here then is like part about uplifting the voices of like women leadership is like not just because we're trying to overturn like a kind of systemic oppression and like let's get rid of this hierarchical model. But there's also something very strategic because the way that women create peace or the way that women lead or the work that they do has this tendency to be about relationship building and to be about building connections. And it also just, I'm, I'm even thinking about another way too, is that part of the way to also lift up women's leadership or even just what we can, you know, for those of us that aren't women, that like they, they can be inspired by like a different kind of leadership. It It's about weaving the web and building the connections. And also there's like some kind of strength in that that's different than the kind of strength that you have just being in control because it's a pretty fragile one to be elected to be the top power whatever person. Um, uh, you know, you get at the top of the pedestal, you can fall off of it. But when you build yeah. the web, you can cut any thread and everything's still going. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Uh, let me mention uh, something we need to pay attention to. Yes, ma'am. You and I and anybody else listening to this. Uh, because uh, building webs, doing all the work in mediation sessions, keeping ourselves healthy and alive and keeping our families healthy and alive requires another strategy. And I have a chapter on that strategy. And this, that strategy is called, called cultivate a balanced life. Mm -hmm. Now everybody's going to go crazy thinking about that. 
balanced life. What are you crazy? <laughs> but I, uh, the woman I mentioned about that uh, is uh, the woman uh, that uh, a woman from my childhood, and it's uh, the woman. Its name is uh, Franny. Uh, Franny, she was uh, Mamunus as a kid. The two of I, it was Joni and Franny. And we And we now call each other that. We lived on Washington Heights in New York, 162nd Street and Broadway. She was on the first floor. I was on the second floor. She did whatever I told her, and she damn well better did it. <laughs> and um, she now is Bramley Castoris. Um, and she lives in South Carolina with her, her husband, Perry. And um, I almost said Gus. That was her father. <laughs> um, it, because we were like sisters. It was mo so much like family. And our mothers kept the web alive for many years. Finally, we all had breakfast together in New York. And Franny and I have now kept it alive. Franny... Uh, is an artist. She's a Greek woman, and she's a beautiful artist. And she is keeps resp takes responsibility for keeping peace in her neighborhood and in her community and her church. She's not a professional. She's a volunteer. And before she moved to South Carolina, she was living in New Jersey. She had a neighbor whose son was killed, I'm going to cry, in the towers at 9-11, in 9-11, he was killed. And as a kid, he had had a neurological disease. So when he was killed, his parents created a foundation for research into this disease, because it still was harming people. Franny created, listen to this, a, a, an exhibit of her artwork. She's an incredible artist, painter. She paints... Uh, with um, um, it's not uh, it's not hand colored it's with oils she paints with oils she created an art exhibit and she donated and she doesn't have much money donated uh, half or three quarters of what she got made to this foundation and she asked the minister of the church to speak about keeping peace uh, for uh, six months to get that message out. So um, I just, and I just think, well, now how can we work to be, as you say, omnipresent or mediate or even listen with the way you're listening to me with open eyes and open face when we're stressed, when we're tense, when we're worried what's going to happen next. Women leaders have somehow learned to balance it all, have somehow learned to juggle. Women leaders more often are able to create a balanced life. And if they haven't, they need to take up the strategy because without it, all of us will become so stressed that we will not only sacrifice ourselves, but sacrifice, sacrifice the planet. The, the climate crisis grows out of a stress on the environment and on us. Yeah, I've been thinking a lot about that, how you know, the way that we treat the planet is like this very interesting reflection of us. And of course we are the planet, you know, that's not, there's no way of separating us from the planet itself. That That's an illusion. But if we're trying to even just treat ourselves with like either out of balance or treat ourselves with cruelty or try to be forcing ourselves to do things that are outside of what works for us, um, that it's really easy to reflect that into the rest of the, you know, how we treat the world. Hello, Fractal friends. Uh, sorry for interrupting this wonderful conversation. If you're enjoying this episode, I hope you tell your friends and subscribe to the podcast and all of those things. But I also just want to talk a little bit about how, in addition to hosting this podcast, I am a conflict transformation educator. I give workshops and coaching to organizations and individuals that want to be more agile and skillful in the face of conflict. One of my favorite things to teach is that conflict is a fractal. 
A fractal is a mathematical concept that is also reflected throughout nature. And with this in the next three ads, I'm going to explain what this means. I use a three-part definition of fractals, and then I also will talk a little bit about the mathematical definition of a fractal. As I understand them, fractals are self-similar at all scales. They are created by recursive algorithms, and they are potentially infinitely complex. Today, I want to talk about the first part of the definition of a fractal. Fractals are self-similar at all scales, and this means that the branch of a tree looks similar to the whole tree, and that also that that branch is made up of smaller branches that also look like the larger branch and the tree as a whole. Conflict is also self-similar at all scales. Conflict between siblings looks similar to conflicts that we find in workplaces, which looks similar to political conflicts, and that pattern is even reflected on an international level. In fact, interpersonal conflicts look similar to interpersonal conflicts, the ones that we have inside of our minds with the parts of our own self. In future ads, I'm going to talk about conflicts and fractals are created through recursive algorithms and can lead to infinite complexity. But in the meantime, you can learn more about conflict transformation and my work by coming to my website, duncanautry.com. You can sign up there for a newsletter, you can read my blog, and you also can make an appointment to arrange a free conflict strategy session. Whatever you do, spread the word that we all can do conflict better. It's our choice, and it doesn't have to be such a painful experience. In this day and age, there really are no longer excuses to suffer through conflict so much. Our only choice right now is to build a world for all of us. Thank you for listening, and now back to the conversation. I think also what I'm hearing, and I think this is in your book, where you just talk about that importance of self-care or like that finding balance or contentment or development so that, and it's like, like women, and I guess all of us, but women, I think in particular, because they're always often in this caring role, have to learn how to care for themselves in the same way that they care for others. And yeah, I don't know if you've run across the Enneagram, but there's these like sort of nine different personality types. And so I'm a two and the two is the helper. And so that's my life work is to figure out how to love myself in the same way that I love others or to care for myself or help myself in the same way that I help others. And often I hear that women will often misidentify as a two because their culture is just telling them, because that's just what's being expected of them, just like sacrifice yourself to help others. And so that wisdom is like really important. And I think what I'm hearing with your story about Franny is that there's a way that you know, by her finding the balance in her life, that allows her to be, to find the strength to be a support for the people in her church or the people in her community or to raise the money for the people with this uh, neurological disorder. Right. Well, this poem has been written for you. All right. Yes, please. All the other twos and all the other mediators out there. Yes. All right. It was written by Mary Oliver. You know her. For sure. I love her work and so does Ken. She wrote um, uh, on Cape Cod. She has passed away fairly recently, last couple of years. But I recommend her, Mary Oliver, to you and all the listeners. Um, She is um, a lesbian whose partner passed away before she did. And so she writes quite beautifully about her partner, not in this poem, but about her partner, and um, I loved reading her work. So I recommend her book to you because she writes so lovingly about uh, the environment on Cape Cod, and uh, I spent a lot of time there when I lived in Boston for 14 years, and Ken and I were there for the Cape Cod, to teach at the Cape Cod Institute. So. She says, one day you finally knew what you had to do and began, though the voices around you kept shouting their bad advice. The whole house began to tremble and you felt the old tug at your ankles. Men my life, each voice cried. It was already late, late, Enough, and wild at night, and the road full of fallen branches and stones. But little by little, 
as you left their voices behind, the stars began to burn through the sheets of clouds. And there was a new voice, which you slowly began to recognize as your own. <laughs> Isn't that beautiful? Yeah. Uh, and so many of us uh, live with that voice uh, crying out, men, my life, and we put ourselves aside to men, our, that life. But Basho, Masutu Basho, who is an ancient Japanese poet, 1644 to 1649 is when he wrote, wrapping dumplings in bamboo leaves with one finger, she tidies her hair. Oh, these spring days, a nameless little mountain wrapped in morning haze. The dragonfly can't quite land on that blade of grass. So noticing the dumplings you're wrapping and the blade of grass you're wrapping. Uh, you, uh, you're not wrapping, the blade of grass where the dragonfly has landed. Um, Ken and I are so lucky to have a little shed, and it's literally that in North Idaho, where we go in the summer and, and winter too, for a couple of months. And we had this wonderful um, divine gift of only being trees and animals. When the bear comes, we don't see it so much as a gift. <laughs> and um, uh, insects. And, but it revitalizes us and it enables us to actually uh, write and mediate and renew our, our lives, balance our lives in the pace we keep. Sunday night, we returned home from uh, 10 days in Pittsburgh, preceded by uh, six days in Boston, cold, different time zone, uh, working all the time, working during the day and dinners with colleagues in the evening. And to be able to keep up that pace at age 78 for each of us, <clears throat> requires us to watch ourselves wrap dumplings when we do. <laughs> There's so many pieces about this I really love. I want to pick up this part about going to your place in Idaho. I think that's something that's inspired me a lot about you. And as a writer, as someone who's written a number of books and you're very prolific, and I'd love for you to share a little bit more about how getting out of the grind or getting out of the wilderness of society and you know, finding some nature, how helpful that can be for your creative spirit and why that is something that's so fundamental for you. Great. And Duncan, uh, I'm going to do something that's part of that, which is to set a limit. Yep. Um, and, you know, in about 10 minutes or so, we should probably complete our conversation. So part of it is, is limits. It's setting, defining. I have to tell you, I have 116 diaries that I have written since high school. Not sequentially. Some years I didn't. But I write all the time. So I can't write a book from all that material. So setting limits and defining what I want to say and what I want to say with this plan, with this project, is one piece of it. Another piece of it is hearing my own voice in the clatter so I know who she is and how she wants to speak and what the cadence is, what the sequence, what the pace is, what the rhythm is, uh, has to be heard. Mm -hmm. um, another part of it is just is boredom. <laughs> Getting fucking bored. That is a big part of inspiring me to write 
getting bored, not having a project that inspires me and carries my attention away, but just not knowing what the hell I want to do. Mm. Oh, that's really great. I thank you. Mm -hmm. I appreciate that. There's something very, very profound in that. Um, Well, um, I, well, I'm going to ask you then two more questions with our last 10 minutes. Well, I do want to say that um, I have a publisher who's very interested in my book, uh, but we haven't got a deal. Okay. Uh, This publisher wants a a pitch letter, you know, like an elevator pitch. And uh, so I sent a pitch video because there was one on of me speaking about my book on I think it was on uh, Facebook or I think it was Facebook or YouTube. Anyway, the point is I've published it. I've printed it myself. It's not on Amazon. The only way to get it is to send me an email or people maybe can contact you and then you'll let me know. Mm-hmm. 1995. So I'd like to do that for a little bit of time while I'm seeing who's interested and while I convince her to embrace me. That's fantastic. So if people want to get this book that you're talking about, um, most of your books they can find on Amazon, but this or any bookstores, and please order it. Make, make sure people go to your bookstore and order it there. Um, but in this book in particular, I'll make some links so that people can find yeah. you to, to order that. Excellent. Thank you. Well said. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and don't stop you from writing what you want to write. Yeah. Don't worry about publishing it. Right. Once you get stuck in how to publish, you'll never get there. Right. Well, that's, again, it's about, you know, it's another example of, like, take, looking to that higher authority and letting that be approved of, right? <laughs> um, so I want to ask, um, so uh, we've mentioned Ken a couple of times, and Ken's been on the podcast before. And one thing I've been really touched by is both of you as just amazing um, people who've done just amazing work and have been activists and revolutionaries and powerful mediators, you know, for all of your lives. I wonder if you have any advice about how, how has it been to, oh, you know, just to both be such, you know, strong individuals and then also to be in connection with each other. We negotiate a lot. So, you know, Ken's invited now to Ontario, Canada, I forget when it is, but he sent me the email and uh, I'm seeing if this is something I want to do, I want to go there. Is that is that the invitation? Yeah, that's a great, that's a good one. Yeah, I just, I love that, just negotiate a lot, you know, like it's a... We negotiate a lot. Yeah, and... Yeah. Yeah, and as mediators, it's about sometimes making compromise, but it's also about communicating your needs and communicating what you want and making sure that you hear each other. And um, yeah, that's fantastic. Exactly. Yeah. You know, it's uh, and it's not caving in is really important. Yeah. Uh, and it's important when you're with a superstar like Ken or if he's in my world, but not also not attacking or you know trying to get collect dues right he can be a star in pittsburgh we each had days when we were stars and we were stars together yeah thank you so joan the last question is then this is when i ask everyone who's on the podcast and Uh and it's just you know given your life experience as joan goldsmith on this planet earth what might be things that you would invite people to pay attention to as they're trying to build a better life or a better world? Well, this may seem very strange. That comes from, uh, I mentioned being Jewish, of course, from a nice Jewish girl. But the beginning of the last chapter of my book is Accept Death's Inevitability. And uh, that's the challenge for each of us. Death is inevitable. And if we don't accept it, if we struggle against it, if we deny it, uh, we 
con ourselves, can fool ourselves, and we never escape it. And I start this chapter with a quote from Mother Teresa. I say, strange from a nice Jewish girl, Mother Teresa was a beautiful nun. So here's what Mother Teresa says about death. Here's what she said. And this was given to me by a woman who worked on the streets. I think it was in Delhi, uh, in India, uh, with her, who was a, a very loyal Catholic and who has raised in her church many services for uh, the poor and uh, the needy in her community. Here's what Mother Teresa says, and my advice uh, to anyone facing our work and anyone facing life. One evening we went out and rescued four people off the streets. One of them was in desperate condition. I told the sisters, quote, you take care of the others. I will care for this one who is worse off, end quote. I did everything for her that my love could do. I put her into bed and I saw a beautiful smile light up her face. She squeezed my hand and managed only to say two words, quote, thank you, end quote. And then she closed her eyes. I couldn't help but ask myself uh, there beside her body, quote, what would I have said if I had been in her place, end quote. My answer was very simple. I would have said that I was hungry, that I was dying, that I was cold. Or I would have said that this or that part of my body hurt or something like that. But she gave me much more. She gave me her grateful love, and she died with a smile on her face. Mm. It's, it's so beautiful. Mm -hmm. Just to be there and just bring comfort in this last moment to someone and and just what more perfect thing to say than thank you, right? Yeah. Um, as we like yeah, face death, it there's a way that there's you know there's the urgency of the world, and then there's the urgency of um knowing that this is this is your one one scarce life that you get to live. Yes. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you for this opportunity to reflect with you, Duncan. I appreciate it. It is my absolute pleasure, Joan. Thank you again for listening to this episode of Fractal Friends with Joan Goldsmith. You can find more content and links and resources about this episode as well as other episodes at fractalfriends.us. While you're there, sign up for the newsletter and get updates on new episodes and learn more about my work as a conflict transformation catalyst. If you want to get a copy of Joan's new book, Women at the Grassroots, you can send me an email at duncan at fractalfriends.us. And as usual, I'll close us out with a song. And while you're listening, I invite you to take a moment to share this episode with someone or post it on Facebook or email it to someone or call up a woman leader in your life and thank her for all that she has done and tell her about the episode. The song I want to share with you is called To Love. The song is a brand new collaboration between two artists and friends of mine, Creature and Cello Joe. Creature is spelt K-R number three T-U-R-E. I think that the song is fitting because, well, it's brand new and I want to share it. And also, isn't it all about love? So please enjoy To Love by Creature and Cello Joe. Thank you for listening to Fractal Friends. And remember, we all have a role to play in the whole. Have a nice day.